Welcome to Movie Time Capsule, where I tell my guests that the world is ending and that they have to fill their capsule with the movies that have impacted their life. Today is a special episode because it's all about the movies of director Robert Zemeckis. If you have listened to this podcast before, you probably know that my favorite movie is always shifting between two films, Forrest Gump and Back to the Future. Well, guess what? They were both directed by Zemeckis, so I'm particularly stoked about this episode. My guest today, who chose to dive into Robert Zemeckis' films, is super, super smart. I always feel inferior to his brain, and he also went to the most well-known film school in the world, which also gives me some film school envy. So for me, it's a privilege to have him on. I want to mention that we talk about a fantastic film named Contact, starring Jodie Foster. And there's going to be some spoilers. So if you haven't seen it, please put it on your list. But then also make sure you fast forward when we talk about it. Now to get things going, we are going to get into some trivia right off the bat. And it's all true or false, so you can play along. I am your host, Luke Cheney. Let's go. It is time to talk about movies. All your favorites. All your loved ones. We will hear them, and we'll cheer them. It is time for Movie Time Capsule. With me now is an old friend, a man who loves movies, who loves taking shots. He is a graduate of USC Film School, and he's currently a video producer. Welcome to the show, Mr. Chris Godwin. Thank you, Luke Cheney, for having me on. I am so happy to be here. It's great to see your, your face again. It's great to see you, too. Oh, my God, yes, in, 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 uh, in the virtual world that we do live in now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, so today your capsule is going to be filled with Robert Zemeckis movies, and I think everyone knows we've all seen or at least heard about Back to the Future. We've probably all seen Forrest Gump, but he's also directed a lot of movies that people probably don't realize that he's done, like Castaway, Contact with Jodie Foster, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh, yeah, so we're going to talk about all those greats today and more. Yeah. I came with a list, Luke. I came prepared. I came prepared with a whole bunch. I have notes. I have trivia facts. I have all oh, kinds of shit. just stupid, random shit to to bore and entertain your audience simultaneously. And uh, I am very much looking forward Good. to that. Well, I've got some trivia for you, so so I hope you are you're ready for that. Good, it's my favorite thing. Get your crossword puzzles out, folks. This is going to be good. <laughs> Tell us why you decided to choose. I'll let you choose whatever actor or director you wanted to come on the podcast with. Why did you choose Robert Zemeckis? You know, I think about Robert Zemeckis a lot because he is a brilliant filmmaker who has made so many films that we grew up with and loved since, you know, since the late 70s, early 80s. He's been around forever. He is a contemporary of the Steven Spielbergs and the George Lucases and the Scorseses and the Coppolas of the world. He's just he's one of those guys. But you don't hear about him much. He's kind of like, he's just the guy who's, you know, all of his films, like all the films you just mentioned, everyone's seen, everyone's seen Back to the Future, everyone's seen Forrest Gump, but like Robert Zemeckis is not a household name. No. And I think that's fascinating. He was a discovery of Spielberg. Spielberg saw uh, a film that he made uh, in the late 70s. I think it was called A Field of Honor, or that was the early 70s. He made A Field of Honor that was a short film at at school. And that got Spielberg's attention. And that's what got him um, the gig to write the movie uh, 1941. Uh, which is which was his big like on screen debut as a writer, um, which is arguably Spielberg's biggest fucking flop. His biggest flop, right? But it's also in the years since then, it's become kind of a cult classic, right? And we see this pattern in Zemeckis throughout his career. He kind of has these like uh, these you know flash of genius uh, successes and flash of genius flops. Mm-hmm. 
massive flops and in the way that like all of the great filmmakers did too. Spielberg has had his share of massive successes and massive flops also. But like Bob Zemeckis is just one of those guys you just don't hear about. He's just kind of like flown under the radar his whole career. He's been around for 40 years and we just kind of like barely know the guy. And I, and I, I think that's fascinating. And for that reason, and I love his film so much, um, and for so many different reasons, every one of his films I love for different reasons. And I thought that would be an interesting um, place of an interesting filmmaker to talk about because I think his he's an underrated filmmaker who needs more spotlight on him, not just his films. I love it, and we're going to give it to him. So to start that off, let's do some trivia. I've got three true or false questions for you. If you get them all right, oh, great, you will win my respect and admiration more than you already have it. <laughs> I'm sure I'll fail, but fire away. <laughs> I'm sure they're going to be really obscure. Come on, fire away. All right, true or false? The original ending of Back to the Future included an atomic bomb. True. That is true. Due to budget restrictions, uh, the studio made them come up with a new idea that took place at the town square, a.k.a. the lightning bolt. But the original idea took place at an atomic bomb test site in Nevada where the DeLorean had like a giant radar dish on front of it where it would like capture the energy of the atomic bomb. <laughs> wow. That movie just like, it's, it's so much crazy stuff. Do you know the original time machine was going to be a refrigerator? Yes, I do. <laughs> yeah. That's, I hope that I didn't just spoil one of your trivia questions, no. but that was, that's my favorite trivia fact about that movie. Like, wow. Thank God somebody got that change in development. That was a smart I know. Move. I, was, I was wondering like, how did Bill and Ted come up with their, you know, the phone booth idea? Like, did they hear about the refrigerator and they just like just changed it a little bit? Because it's like, that's a terrible time machine. <laughs> it's a terrible time machine. And it's, and it's hilarious because like the, the movie really leans into how terrible of an idea it is, right? Because they put like 20 people in it and, yeah. <laughs> and it flies around and they're sticking out the si- it's si- fully sideways at one point in the movie with like 10 people sticking out of it. And, and they're just like, wow, this is a really bad. Like they all knew it was a bad idea and they <laughs> ran with it anyway. Like the commitment is something you have to respect yes. a little bit, you know, like. As stupid as it is. <laughs> I love that movie so much. And it's sequels. Yeah. All right. Number two, Zemeckis's lowest rated movie on Rotten Tomatoes is Death Becomes Her. Now, this is this is the critic score, not the audience score, by the way. <sighs> Death Becomes Her could be it, but I'm going to say false. I feel like you're judging my poker face, trying to get like an answer out of my reaction. <laughs> it is false. <laughs> Yes, yes. It's possible. It's a terrible film, but it's, you know, it, it, and what we're going to talk about okay. later. Yeah, I watched it recently. I was like, ooh, this is this is not as good as I remembered. But the actual lowest one <laughs> is Welcome to Marwin, which was a few years ago with Steve Carell. His top film on Rotten Tomatoes is not Back to the Future. It's actually Who Framed Roger Rabbit with 97% and Back to the Future yes. with, with 96%. Oh, we're getting this great preview of all the stuff we're going to talk yes. about uh, in a second. This is brilliant, Luke. Keep, go- keep going. Keep <laughs> all it right, up. last question. Dr. Strangelove was the movie that inspired Zemeckis to go into filmmaking. False. I happen to know it's Bonnie and Clyde. Wow. Good job. It is false. <laughs> he said that um, while watching Bonnie and Clyde in high school was the first time that he ever got sad about a character or just sad in a movie in general. And it was when Gene Hackman died in the film. Very well done. You got three for three. Three for three. Yes. Study, study kids, do your homework. It's good for you. You learn things, you know, you can, you can, uh, you can uh, impress all your friends on trivia night. (laughs) You're a champion among movie nerds and that's a pretty good class. (laughs) 
to be a, to be a mom in my book. Indeed, P- proudly so, proudly so. I should have known you were going to research the fuck out of this before coming onto this show. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a lot of well, I had a lot of fun reading about it, and and the more I read about it, the more I was like, wow, this guy just does not the. Because I I just learned that um, a couple days ago when I was doing you know background research on them too and watching videos about him and and reading stories of like wow I barely know this guy at all I know all of his films yeah. I barely know this dude I know you know let's get to know him a little bit let's do it here's my first question for your time capsule now this is maybe one of the hardest questions I have for you because mm-hmm. I think when anyone thinks of Zemeckis in the film world we all think of all of the visual effects that he has pulled off and pioneered oh yeah. So what, in your opinion, is the Zemeckis movie that had the most impressive visual effects for its time? You're going to laugh when I say this, but I'm going to say Death Becomes Her. I'm not mad at that. Because that, so that movie came out in 1992. 92. And the, the visual, so it predates all of the really wild stuff that he did with Forrest Gump, mm-hmm. famously, two and a half years later. He, um, it's, uh, it's remarkable. I mean, what you remember from Death Becomes Her are like the hole in Goldie Hawn's, uh, chest yeah. and like Meryl Streep's head getting turned around. Like that was cutting edge stuff at the time and it looked good. Like yeah. the movie itself is garbage. It is a, it is a terrible, it was a poorly written film. It has a spectacular cast, but it has like everything else about it is just, it's just, it didn't work. Like it, it felt like there was like a good idea in there somewhere. And like in the years since then, it's become kind of a camp thing kind of like it's sort of like the 90s you know rocky horror picture show in a way mm-hmm. it's a movie that gets played around halloween everyone has a good laugh at it you know because of how goofy and over the top it is and it is goofy and over the top and it deserves the ridicule but um the special effects are not bad and they were and a lot of them were kind of really edgy for their time and they looked great like the movie looks good like all that cgi stuff that they did looked good and like stuff that still holds up holds now up. Which, you know, um, it was a terrible film, but this is this is kind of where we're seeing Zemeckis, like, you know, really, like, getting a grip on his, you know, the future of, like, advanced CGI f- technical filmmaking. Yeah, I'm trying to think back to, like, 92 and what other films were coming out that had visual effects. Like, I think Terminator, Terminator. was 92, Terminator, right? Terminator 2. Terminator 2 right. was 91. 90- one or two, mm-hmm. one of those. Um, the Abyss, I think, was also mm-hmm. ninety-one that had the famous, um, the first ever CGI image in a in a in a live action film, which was that face that comes out of the pool. If you remember, there's a famous yeah. shot. Um, uh, and there were a bunch of others. I think that was the year. I think that was also the year uh, Disney came out with Beauty and the Beast, which had the first um, com- entirely computer generated sequence of the dance sequence of the ball. Right. Um, so like that was like right at the start of like CGI becoming mainstream in films. It had been around for a while and it had been used in other things, but it never didn't really hit mainstream the way it did until the early 90s. And Zemeckis was right on the head of that curve. Yeah. With the worst possible entry of that, of that <laughs> list of films. That was a bold <laughs> <It worked>. choice. <laughs> yeah, but but it set him up. It set him up to do like Forrest Gump and um and the motion capture stuff uh that he did later, we which we'll, which we'll get into. But like he, you know, like this is where it started. His death becomes her. Yeah. And what's impressive about the movie, as you said, the cast, you've got Bruce Willis, Goldie Hawn, and the Meryl Streep all like sharing the spotlight yeah. evenly in this movie. And you're like how did they get these three giant people? Well, it's because he freaking killed it with Back to the Future. And I think at that point, anyone was like, you can go and do whatever you want to. Here's the money. Here's the stars. That's exactly right. <laughs> exactly right. And, and he had a great time. Do You can tell that they were all having a lot of fun 
yeah. making a garbage film. They all knew it. And, you know, I, and like, and these are all people who like all three of those people were in films also that were like Academy Award winning, mm-hmm. uh, amazing pictures. And sometimes you just make a, a movie to fuck around, you know, yeah. like it's, it's okay. Like the studio is going to finance it. You're going to have a good time. It's going to, it's going to, you know, maybe I'll stick at the box office, but you had fun and that's kind of what counts. And you're going to get paid for it. So it's cool. Yeah. That's kind of like a theme for Zemeckis with his movie choices. Like he, he goes to push the envelope. He goes for home runs and they don't always land, but when they do, right. We fucking live with them for the rest of our lives and we love them. That's right. And he's, he swings for the fences mm-hmm. every time and he, and he misses, yeah. um, you know, maybe a little more than, than others do, but he has enough hits and he's done enough good that he just, he gets, they let him keep making movies. <laughs> okay. So we talked about a movie that you probably, if you haven't seen it, you probably should not watch. Maybe check out some clips on YouTube, but Chris, what is the most underrated Zemeckis movie? Um, we mentioned it a little while ago, and my answer for that one is Welcome to Marwin. I think that movie, which just came out, it was like 2013, I think it came out, 2015, that includes, yeah. um, it got shat on by the critics because it was based on a documentary about the real person about whom the film is made. Mark, um, I forget his last name, but the the guy that Steve Carell plays in the film is a real person. It was based on a documentary, and the critics had all seen the documentary. The documentary was great. It was uh, a highly acclaimed, won a bunch of awards, big documentary film. And then Zemeckis makes this very ethereal, um, very high production value, glossy, you know, imaginative, you know, almost like in that, in that Zemeckis Spielberg way of what this universe might be like. Um, all of the talent in the film, um, did their own motion capture and then had their own faces plasticized into these little dolls that lived in his in this little fake universe that he created. And the and the, the photography is beautiful. Yeah. The writing is really good. The performances are really good. Like there's a lot of things that go well in this movie, but the critics pointed out that there was a tonal shift, like a, maybe an inappropriate one given the subject matter of like um, there was the stories about this guy who gets beaten up because maybe he's a cross dresser and there's like a whole social element to it. And they didn't really, they kind of gloss over that a little bit. And, and there was kind of a lot of hate. And so as a result, it flopped miserably flopped. Um, but if you, if you go on IMDb and you read the, the reviews about it, the user reviews are just like, I don't get why people hate this movie so much. It's beautiful. But it's the people who are writing the nice reviews are, are people who hadn't seen the documentary and didn't know the real story. Yeah. So I think it's a great film as in terms of its technical filmmaking. Zemeckis probably as, you know, as is not uncommon with people in his generation to a little glossing over about issues that maybe he wasn't comfortable talking about. And for that reason, it got pilloried. Maybe uh, that's fair. But um, as a as a piece of technical filmmaking, it's very impressive. Yeah, the what they do with the motion capture, putting them onto you know, action figures, GI Joe figures. It looks so amazing. And yeah, it is kind of yeah. sad that it'll never get seen by so many people because it's just, I think mostly because of Rotten Tomato scores that can really control mm-hmm. the life and death of a, of a film. Yeah. I mean, great example of like where like, like the hardcore film nerds will go and they'll swarm a thing that they don't like and sync it mm-hmm. without giving like, you know, normie is a chance to go and watch it and, and enjoy it. Um, I think that's a bad habit that we have in Hollywood where, you know, we, to kind of, to impress one another, we kind of dogpile things like that. And we want to be part of the in crowd and be like, Oh, this is stupid. And in some cases that's warranted. In a lot of cases, it's just, it's just not 
I don't, I don't think, uh, and when it's not warranted, it's really sad, you know, yeah. because like a movie like this that has a lot of heart and is, has that classic Zemeckis glossy, you know, buttercup vibe to it, um, just kind of doesn't land. And it was, um, you know, and it probably, and you're right, it probably will just be completely forgotten uh, as a result, which is, which I think is a shame because I think it's a, it's a compelling story and, and uh, Steve Carell's performance and it was brilliant and it's a shame. So I think that's his most underrated film. There you go. Go see it if you get the chance. Yeah. Welcome I, to Marwin. I am excited to see what he does with Pinocchio, which is going to be his next movie, which he might be done filming with Tom Hanks. Um, but of oh, yes. course, you know, the Pinocchio will be probably looking a lot, very similar to the characters in Welcome to Marwin, you know, with their somewhat plasticky or he'll be a wood wooden boy, but it's still going to have like that um, hyper realism look to it. So it's funny because in the 21st century, 21st century Bob Zemeckis is all about this motion capture animated film thing. And sometimes it's like, it's sometimes it's a hybrid. Sometimes it's like fully animated motion capture filmmaking. But since Polar Express back in 2004, like that's been kind of his thing. And almost all of his, and, and he's, that's, if he's famous for anything, it's that. Because he's the only one that does that regularly. Like there are no other filmmakers that do that with that frequency. So, which is interesting. And like the motion capture technology has been used by everyone else to do all kinds of stuff in all the Marvel films and in all the Star Wars films and in all that. We see it like we see. And this is all technology that his team developed. You know, this all came from him. Right. And uh, and he kind of does. I don't think he gets the credit for it. But the films that he does make, the ones that like his big famous ones, like Polar Express and Beowulf and Christmas Carol, all of them were flops. Yeah, they. Uh, I don't know how they did it at the box office. I know Beowulf was a huge flop, both critically and at the box office. Uh, Polar Express, I think, was pretty successful, but it was it's it had a kind of weak writing, and it was kind of it, the the story structure kind of fell apart because of the the focus on the technology that was used to make it, which is a you know a first entry in that genre is you know to be expected. That's not unusual, but like I feel like there's his the thing that he's most famous for is not necessarily what he's best at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Yes, it it is. It's kind of a shame that I think that James Cameron gets all the credit for motion capture, as far as everyone thinks of his name when they think of motion capture because of Avatar. But really, of Avatar, right? A lot of the amazing effects that people have uh, kind of built up over the years really kind of came from Robert Zemeckis and Carl. What is his uh, his his supervisor, his visual effects supervisor? I forget his name, but. Um, yeah, oh, yeah. His team. Um, it's Ken Ralston was the visual effects Ken supervisor, Ralston. which then Robert Zemeckis attributes most of the genius behind these effects to. Yeah, interesting. And I just looked up Ken on IMDb. He, his first movie as a visual effects person, was as the miniature and optical effects unit in Star Wars A New Hope. That makes total sense. Talk about a... Uh big first entry in your resume there bro yeah like yeah <laughs> i remember reading uh when i was researching this i was reading about who framed roger rabbit and um they mentioned how he you know the, pr the the process of making that film was so technically complicated that he was just like uh 2d animation limits me too much mm -hmm. i have too many limitations with that and then he became kind of like low-key kind of obsessed with the idea of 
you know, what can we do with 3D? Like, where's the future in 3D? And that became kind of a pet project of his throughout the 90s. And that's kind of like, and he was kind of working on it in the background. And finally, he gets, you know, gets the chance to like make some, like, you know, the technology finally gets to the point where he can make it. And, and he's getting like the, like the movies that he uses it on are like big properties. Like the Polar Express is a huge children's book, famous, huge blockbuster children's book that's been around forever and ever. We, it was around when we were kids. It was around way before that. Um, and, and he made it and it got some, you know, got a little bit of love. And I think it did okay in the box office, if I'm not mistaken, but it kind of otherwise just kind of fell flat. Beowulf. Do you remember Beowulf? Oh, I did not like Beowulf. That movie was a punchline immediately. It came out and that like, oh, yeah, Beowulf became like a meme. It was like one of the first memes in like 2006 or whenever that movie came out. I 2007. am Beowulf. I am Beowulf. Yeah, I mean, that was, people joked about that for that. And that's what people remember from that movie. Yeah. Because it was so, it was so terrible. And like, and, and what's, it's crazy when you contrast that with like something like Forrest Gump or Castaway, which have brilliant genius level writing. And then he makes he makes the the motion capture movie, which is the one he like gets all giddy and like, oh, I got the mega motion, and then and that's the one that's garbage. Like, like when is the when is he going to bring them together? Is Pinocchio going to be that movie? I hope so. Yeah, but like I feel like it hasn't gotten there yet. There's like there's some gap in his filmmaking style, and it's really frustrating because he, the man is clearly a genius, genius level film director, and he can't and and a, and a great writer too, by the way, but he can't like. He hasn't like found that thing yet. He's still he's still searching for it. I think that's one of the compelling things about his story is that he's not a filmmaker who has gotten to his zenith. I think his zenith is still in front of him. Right. And this is the guy who again made all the Back to the Future films, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Castaway, Forrest Gump, m- movies that got showered with Oscars and critical acclaim. But I don't think he's gotten there yet. I think he is still trying to merge those two lanes. I 100% agree with you. I think he has got one more amazing film left in him that he's he's honestly searching for like he he's always hopping around from like genre to genre or just themes and i feel like he's he's still you know somewhat young for director not young he yeah. still has a lot of legs left in him as a director and yeah. he's going to he's going to keep going until he just fucking maxes out I agree. I think all of these guys, like they were all the, the that whole baby boomer class of directors. He's a little bit younger than Spielberg and Lucas and Coppola, I think, because they're all born in the 40s. He's, I think, Zemeckis is 52, 1952. Yeah. Sounds right. So he's about to turn 70. Um, but I mean, a lot of these people like are making movies into their 80s and beyond. Like Clint Eastwood is still making movies. How old is he? 90 yeah, or something? Right. Uh, he's like, these guys are, I mean, they're, they, there's nothing, they're not going to do anything else. Like they can't, you know, like these guys, once you stop making movies, you're unemployable everywhere else. Like he's not going to get like another, he's not going to be on a board of directors for like Exxon Mobil. Like he hasn't, <laughs> he has, there's no retirement career in Bob Zemeckis' future. He's going to make movies and then he's going to be gone and that's going to be it. Like that's yeah. what he's going to do. Uh, and that's when you sign up to work in Hollywood. That's kind of what it, you sign up to do. And that's kind of a beautiful thing. But it also means that we think we're going to have Bob Zemeckis around for a long time yet, hopefully. Yes. And 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 hopefully we'll get that like really great big magnum opus out of him because I think that's still ahead of him. Yes, cannot wait for that. Um, now most of his movies are not labeled flat out comedies. He's done a couple that are considered comedies like Used Cars, but I find his movies hilarious. Like Back to the Future is so freaking funny. Uh, I we watched it in a movie theater recently and I laughed the entire way through, like laugh out loud funny. But I would like to know, what is Chris Godwin's pick for the funniest Zemeckis movie? If this, was, this was really tough. This is really tough um, because there are a few entries in this list that I think are both, both like 
truly intentionally funny and both unintentionally funny. But I'm going to have to go with Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yes. Because I th- I really just, I think it is just one of the funniest, maybe one of the funniest movies ever made. And it's it's funny in a way that you're not always like laughing out loud at it, but it's it's satire that is so multidimensional mm-hmm. and such an ex- like an advanced level of genius that you can watch that film over and over and over again and watch a different movie every time. Yeah. It's it's visual components are multi-layered. There's stuff going on in the background that like you have to on your fifth time you'll be like, "Oh my god, I didn't notice like like the like the gag with the with the penguin or whatever is the fault he's falling off the bike." Like, like there's there's like there're like weird sight gags in that movie that like are in there for no reason that like you would only notice if you've watched it like 10 times. Um, the, the story itself, which everyone forget, like forgets what like the plot of the film is, but the plot of the film um, is about the, const- is really about the construction of the 10 freeway through Los Angeles right. because it's about knocking that, knocking the towns. It's actually the same exact plot that LA confidential has, which is funny. <laughs> Uh, but they does it in such like a ridiculously over the top style that like the plot doesn't matter. Like nobody remembers the plot of Who Framed Roger Rabbit. They remember moments. Right. They remember like the um, you know uh, shaving a haircut two bits scene. <laughs> they remember they remember the flattening scene. They remember like like with the Jessica Rabbit's like thing or that opening number with the with the baby who smokes cigars. Like they, they those are the that's what you recall from that film. Or like it's like a series of sketches that somehow make a narrative plot. Yeah. With like famous cartoons in them, you know, it's just, it's like, it's sketch comedy with a narrative and, and nothing else. And it doesn't try to be anything else. And it doesn't have to be because Bob Hoskins performance is genius. Um, I mean, Christopher Lloyd's was brilliant. Charles Fleischer, who played Roger Rabbit. There it is. Brilliant performance. Christopher Lloyd, brilliant. You know, it's a fun movie. You can watch it over and over again. Um, and it's hilarious and absurd in every possible way. It's scary. It, like, toward the end, it gets like legitimately scary. And it's just a really, it's a funny movie. And it's like, when you watch it as a kid, there's the kid level co- comedy. As you watch it as an adult, there's the adult level. There's just movies that can accomplish that. It's so hard to do that well. And that movie maybe does it better than any else, any other film in its genre. And so and now it's kind of regarded as kind of a camp classic. It's kind of a campy, it's regarded now as kind of a campy film. Mm-hmm. But I think it's underrated for its sheer genius. Hell yeah. Yeah, you bring up a great point about the the layers of watching it at different ages and also the background details. Like his movies are littered with background details and the continuity in his movies are amazing. Like with Back to the Future, like I remember I think every time I watch it, I'm noticing something new. With Forrest Gump, I just saw something new recently about um, Mama's feather earrings. And yeah, there's just Mm -hmm. so much going on on different levels that it blows your mind if you really start picking it apart and figuring out where this genius comes from. Yeah. And also, like, and when you've worked in the film industry as we have, you know that, like, when a production goes up, the creative team behind it will have X amount of interest in background details maybe it's a lot maybe it's a little and every show it's going to be a little bit it's going to vary based on who the director is who the art department is whoever and when you have a a situation like you have a guy like bob zemeckis who is all about detail Mm -hmm. you get a movie that takes a long time to make but lasts forever and you can watch it again and again and again and you can just keep getting those details out that is very rare 
And there are only a handful of like the only other director in that peer group who might match him is Spielberg. And that's basically it. Um, Like you just don't get that kind of like everyone, most film directors, the big ones um, focus on characters at Wes Anderson is maybe another one. Um, But like, it's, it's a small group. Like it's, it's, it's people like directors are big picture thinkers. They have a lot of, of things to keep track of at once. And like, you know, a design on a coffee cup that's up on a shelf behind a character that references a movie they made 20 years ago as a joke is something they may think of, or maybe won't. And if they do think of it, and that's, you can tell a lot about what a filmmaker cares about by those kind of details. Bob Zemeckis is that guy. He cares about Bob Zemeckis is the guy who'll be like, this is a joke that someone will miss the first five times they watch this movie and they'll get it 20 years later as an adult. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he planned it all out. He's planned it all out. That is next level filmmaking genius. And it's one that is, I think, also not celebrated enough. Great pick. Great pick. Yeah. Now, I would like to know, what is the one quote that you say most in your life that comes from a movie of his? I thought about this a lot. And I could think of a couple, I think. uh, But I want to save my answers for those things for other places because I don't want to use movies more than once if I can avoid it. Um, there's a couple of cases where I will break that rule, but um, I, I'm, I'm trying, trying to keep to the one movie uh, rule. I think the most quotable of all of his films by far is Forrest Gump. Yes. I think that movie, aside, the movie is famous for two things. It's famous for the trip that we take with Forrest through 20, mid 20th century history. And it's famous for things that Forrest Gump says, most of which are ridiculous. And that's kind of why we love him, right? Because he's kind of a goofy guy, you know, who's who's uh, neurodivergent or you know neurologically challenged, and you know we're just and he's like drifting as like a, like a feather through the world and just like and somehow lands on the box of chocolates every time, you know. That's just how he does it, and we love him for that. And the things that come out of his mouth are ridiculous. But one thing that he does say that I, that I think about a lot is that famous line: "Stupid is as stupid does," which. I think is it's a saccharine thing, but it's also I think it's it has something it says something to me about like how prejudice works, about how it's a it's a larger theme of you know stupid is a stupid does means like you know someone may appear to be stupid may not but may not actually be stupid. Stupid is is a performance a a, a physical failure. It's not a state of being. Sure, is is what that means. And I think that is an important lesson to learn that is hard to learn and hard to understand. And But the character of Forrest Gump has to understand it because that's the only way he's able to function in the world. And we see that play out again and again and again through the film. Um, you know, his uh, we see like his constant like entreaties to Jenny trying to like get her like, no, come home with me, come home with me, come home with me. That is on the on the he's like well of course this this girl's not gonna come back with you what are you talking about she's like partying with the black panthers like she doesn't, she doesn't care about you but he but he keeps at it anyway and we're like maybe this looks stupid but it's not and in the, in the end you know it rescues her um it rescues her legacy anyway so um and we just see that happen in, in, in vietnam when he's like going back into the jungle um rescuing pulling guys out of the out of the jungle uh during the assault it's, it was a stupid thing to do, but it, not really because he saved a lot of people's lives. And that becomes a theme in that film, but it's also great advice for real life about how we think about prejudice and how we approach um, the issue of the day through the lens of prejudice. You know, when we, um, when we interact with somebody whose political beliefs we don't agree with, um, how do we treat them as a, as a, you know, as a 
series of ideologies or like the kind of person they are and the way that they treat their family and their kids and their friends. I think that that like there's something I don't maybe I don't quote it all the time though sometimes I do say that's so when whenever I'm working with a client and I'm explaining like something technical to them and they're like oh god this makes me feel stupid sometimes I'll say like ah oh, stupid is stupid does and we'll have a laugh about it that's probably where I use that the most as a joke mm-hmm. as you know it's just as to say incorrectly in the in the meaning but to say like ah oh, you know it's not really that stupid it's kind of like you know <laughs> the the effort is what counts. Um, but I love that line because I think it it says a lot about Forrest's character. It is a big thematic um, arc in the film and has great r- real life application. Yeah, that yeah, that's a great sentiment. Um, it oddly brings up this other quote from um, Batman Begins, which is going to probably sound funny, but it's like, uh, Bruce, you're defined by what you do, and yeah, your your actions speak louder than than um, words. And yeah, we. We're not born a certain way. We're not born to be predisposed into this, you know, this uh, life or this career. We're we're defined by what we do and how we treat people, and we should all strive to learn about people before we judge them and before we um, interact or choose not to interact with them. Yes, and if that lesson is good enough for both Forrest Gump and Batman to learn, it's good enough for the rest of us too. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> This has been The More You Know with Chris and Luke. (laughs) Thanks for watching. (laughs) As a little piece of trivia, uh, that that line came from Stupid Is The Stupid Does. That was originally told by someone's mother. I think it was a producer's mother. She used to say, handsome is as as handsome does. (gasps) Oh, I love that. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's great. Oh, I love that. (laughs) And you can really... I mean, that's... That's that's true. Like it's you know subjectivity versus objectivity. What is real and what is observed? Yeah. You know what what is what is our sense? You know, and which is what Forrest says when he says stupid is stupid does handsome is as handsome does. You know, like yeah, maybe he looks like a great guy, but maybe he's also an asshole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, true story. When I think about that, I'm like, are is that person attractive because of what they're wearing or their lipstick or their haircut, or is they attractive because of their personality and how they they wear themselves? Right, right. Are they are they are they civically conscious? Are they, you know, are they uh, do they care about other people? Do they are they helpers? Are they selfish? Are they you know harmful, toxic, funny? You know all those things. Yeah, the great thing about Forrest Gump is that he he doesn't judge people. He just takes everyone at at face value. What what you tell me is what I'll believe about you, and I will treat you with respect because you've given me no reason to disrespect you. Mm-hmm. I think that's why, like, he's so lovable as a person. Forrest Gump is—he's just like a—he's a child, and uh, he—he's just so innocent and believes. I think he's like an—he's an optimist in a way about yeah. everything. Yeah, and just believes that everyone wants to be his friend and everyone can be his friend, and 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 that the world is inherently good. Yeah, yeah. and we want to believe that with him. Mm-hmm. You know, like like we find ourselves like wanting to—we're reaching for that. Also, I think that I think the reason Forrest Gump was made, and I do not have a source on this. This is just my opinion to, for the sake of you know full disclosure. But I think that the um, Zemeckis is a um, is a great sort of avatar for um, the boomer generation in terms of the way that they see and they view and they react to media. Um, he's just he's a good representation of them uh, as a group. Um, and not to be, not to make a broad generalization, though this will be. Uh, but he, um, 
I think that there is um is a certain amount like Forrest Gump is kind of his like way of it's it's his way of like looking into the past and and finding the best parts and and highlighting them and saying like this is where we came from. I think that there is a theme in his work all throughout his work where um where Spielberg is kind of like the forward visionary of the boomer generation Zemeckis is sort of like the reaction the more reactionary nostalgic mm-hmm. power and they sort of pull apart where we see them work together is something like back to the future which does both right um in castaway it's it's a lot of you know the one of the themes of that film is like the nostalgia of like my my former life um and the and the woman that I love you know like the nostalgia is like a big theme with him um and in romancing the stone it's there's a lot of nostalgia because the the plot isn't about nostalgia but like the look is about those like serial uh adventure dramas from the 50s which is where which is where Indiana Jones came from also right um there's nostalgia he grew up with TV like Zebekus always says like oh I didn't watch films when I was a kid I watched television and you could see that like, in his work, like those like TV tropes, the quick cuts and the quick camera pans, and like yeah. the, the, it's this nostalgia with him. Uh, in in Forrest Gump, you don't get that. Forrest Gump is a lot more glossy, but it's all nostalgia. It's just it's just painting the '60s and '70s as though they were this beautiful, like what, like easy to compartmentalize, simple narrative of which it wasn't at <laughs> all. Like it's. That is a terrible movie to learn history from, right. by the way. For anyone listening, terrible movie to learn history. Um, but it's it's great. Uh, it's a great way to learn about how that generation sees itself in the past. When we meet Forrest Gump, we like him. And this is the reason I bring this up. We, we meet Forrest Gump, we kind of like him because he does take us at face value, which is what I think a lot of people in his generation and others um, wish that we could meet people and interact with people who just believe us for who we are instead of projecting their, you know, uh, fears and their uh, predispositions and their uh, prejudices onto us. It's there's something and like the way that you meet a child and a child does that, you know, talking to a kid is like a, a small kid is really fun that way because they just, they just assume that everything you tell them is true. And they're happy and they go on their merry way. There's no critical thought that goes into it. No, like, you know, is this guy lying to me? There's no games. It's just, it's pure, pure understanding. Yeah. I think we all kind of crave that. And I think that's, I think that's the theme in Forrest Gump that's really powerful. That really gets out. And I think it's full of great lines kind of because of that. Like it's, you know, they're all just, it's nostalgic and it's just like, it's just, it's sitting there like popping, you know, saltwater taffy. It's got this like, nostalgic old school vibe thing to it and just makes you like oh yeah like the 60s, yeah, the 60s were great weren't they just <laughs> yeah, wasn't it great everyone was great everyone was having a great time getting you know it was and of course none of it's true but it feels good feels good to think and, about it that way and the soundtrack helps that out a lot oh yeah oh yeah. Just, maybe one of the best soundtracks of all time that that the big chill and bill and ted's excellent adventure maybe have the best soundtracks of all time oh shit i'm gonna have to think about that one <laughs> Hot hot take. <laughs> hot take on movie time movie time capsule. <laughs> All right. You just talked about how Forrest Gump it can make us feel good. What is the movie that you would show someone of Robert Zemeckis's if they were feeling bad and you wanted to cheer them up? Great. So this was um for I saved my second answer to that last question for this one. 
which is um, a second answer to what's the funniest movie to um, used cars. Used cars. So used cars is not a film we think about when we think about Robert Zemeckis. It, um, it was a complete commercial flop. Nobody saw it. It is a completely forgotten film. But uh, if you haven't seen it, and I and I will confess, I have not seen it in its entirety. But that movie is absolutely fucking hilarious. It is over the top. It is childish. It is absurd. It's sort of like it's it's Animal House. If Animal House took place with adults with way more money, okay? It's got it's got like cars blowing up. It's got the f word every five seconds. It's got so so many tits. Like there's so many. There's so many, like, they just find ridiculous... Part of the plot is they're finding, like, they're trying to do this... These guys are selling used cars, and they're doing, like, more and more over-the-top stuff to do it, and eventually it only just comes down to naked women. And they find ways to, like, tear their clothes off, and they're completely top. Like, I don't know how he was able to get this movie made. <laughs> like, for 1980, when it came out, it was so vulgar. It was, like, it, w- it would be shocking now if you made that movie. I don't know how he was able to talk anyone into giving him money to make that in 1980. I really don't. Somehow, Columbia Pictures decided to do it, and there it is. Like that movie exists. Um, uh, even just watching the trailer for it on IMDb, you're like, whoa, I can't like in the trailer. Yeah. There are like there are four or five women who are just who are just not wearing clothes. They're just not wearing clothes, Luke. They're naked completely. I'm like, this is not you can't put this on television. What are you doing? Like, this is 1980. Anyway, like a very strange movie. Kurt Russell is in it. Kurt Russell's the star. It's yeah. a very young Kurt Russell, like before he was a big star. Um, and it's just, it's over the top silly. And if, and it's the kind of movie that you're, it's not going to win an Academy Award. It's not going to, it's, no one's going to say nice things about how great of a film it is. But if someone was in a really bad mood and they watched that movie, they would feel great afterwards because it's funny in a juvenile way. And it's got cars, girls, explosions, blah, 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 blah. It's just got all, and it's, and a bunch of terrible people making mistakes. It's like everything. It's like, it's like reality TV, but like in 1980. Um, it's it's been like a really like in a really satisfying way and and it's um it's and I think it's like a genuinely funny film which has a genuinely funny perspective, um and uh and I I think I would recommend anyone to see it, um if you're looking to cheer yourself up after a rough week, (laughs) would you say that if someone loves the movie Caddyshack would they also love Used Cars? (sighs) Very different style of comedy. Caddyshack is way more highbrow and that's saying something because it is not a highbrow movie <laughs> but it is way higher brow um if you liked caddyshack there's a good chance you're gonna like use cars because caddyshack is a little lewd right and it's got so it's, it's a little bit but like used cars blows it out of the way it's not even close like you can't really compare them it's just like tits everywhere luke it's tits everywhere <laughs> like every five seconds like there's like a there's, a there's a 20 minute stretch in the middle where it's just like how many how do they talk this many women into doing this on, on Kurt Russell wasn't famous. Like nobody knew who these people were. Like why were they? Like, like were they just bored on Sunset Boulevard one night and they got picked? You wonder. Like how do they find the people to do this? Because like some of them are like there's like a lot of talent in that film and like somehow they I don't know. It's just it's worth watching if you're looking for like a really stupid way. To, like if, after like a couple of beers, to, like entertain yourself on a Saturday night. It's uh, <laughs> strongly recommended. It's re- it's really stupid. It's not. Don't show it to impress anyone. Show it to make someone feel better. That that's the name of the game right there. And that is going to do it for part one of Robert Zemeckis. I hope to hear you back here next time for part two.